Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, join us Monday nights, ISU's campus. We'd love to see you there. This morning, we get to have some fun. And I, I recognize many of you got a good two hours sleep last night. Um, you, uh, you, you, you have my um, appreciation for the ability to sleep on two hours and come to a morning session and still set up right. So I, I, I do appreciate that. But this morning, what I want to do is I, I, I want to rock your world. I don't have a low goal. I have a high goal. And, and, and I, I don't want to fail you. What I want to do today is I'm going to give you a road map. I want you to understand how the human heart works. I want you to be able to take the journey of your life and to end up where you love and delight in the relationships that you have. Raising your children, you know what you're about and your, and your spouse. I, I want you to understand why other people's marriages are not working. And it's not because they're good or bad people. That's no, no. To have the relationship you want, you have to have two things. You have to have character. You have to have what, what enough character and wholeness to live out the claims that love makes on you. But you also have to have concepts. Because if you don't understand where you're going and how to get there... And so we're going to kind of weave together a little bit so this character and concepts. Maybe the framework I want you to work from from this morning is let's think about your parents' marriage. Let's think about your grandparents' marriage. Let's, let's think in those terms because I think you'll have a little better luck standing a little further back than from looking at your own life. But once we've looked at them, I think you're going to know why I'm headed this direction. Oversimplify, but it's accurate. There are three basic drivers for why we fall in love with somebody and why we either stay in love or fall out of love. There's three different motors, three different systems. Those systems are pretty simple. This one is two people who've never come to their own wholeness, or maybe one of them, and so they lean in life. I feel like I'm missing out. I feel like I need someone. I feel like I need to be needed. I feel like I'm not happy, but I would be happy if the right girl loved me. I feel like I'm a little stuck in life, but I would get unstuck if, if I just had a boyfriend or girlfriend. These people find each other and fall in love. It's, it's, it's basically built around this. I will love you if you'll meet my needs. I mean, my need to be needed, my need to have somebody give me attention, my need to make me feel better about myself. If you... If you'll meet my needs, it's about a one to three year marriage. Now, I need to make this very clear. It can become a great marriage. Some of you are in this kind of a relationship. What I'm actually telling you is it can't stay that way. It has to become this. You don't necessarily have to shoot them and bury them to, you know, for this thing to be over. What you have to do is you have to change. And if you don't change... I, I'm, I, I can tell you where the road goes, where the road goes. I mean, Interstate 55, if you don't get off of it, will either take, I mean, it, it takes you to Chicago. And you say, well, I don't want to go to Chicago. Well, the road goes there. And the road doesn't care if you want to go there or doesn't go there. The road goes where the road goes. This road goes where it goes. 
Some of you last night, I'm confident that I didn't do a good job in telling you, yes, you can change. But it's far easier to change as a single than it is in a relationship. Get ahead of the game. This is kind of, it used to say 25% of American marriages, it's actually altered. It's about 40 to 45% of American marriages are this one. I'll love you if you meet my needs, but nobody can meet your needs well enough. You're going to end up two years in a marriage and go, wow, I feel betrayed. I feel hurt. I feel you're not meeting my needs. And, and the reason I love you is because you, you met my needs. And if you stop meeting my needs, I guess I can stop loving you. Nobody thinks in those terms. That's just emotionally what we process. Enough of that one. The second one is a five to eight year marriage. And it sounds so much better. Uh, honestly, I'm going to guess that probably two-thirds of your parents, if they don't have a good marriage, I'm going to guess two-thirds of your parents because of the generation they are was probably this one. The second one sounds so much better. This one is, I'll love you if you meet my needs. This one, I love you because. Well, that's great. I love you because you're funny. I love you because you're sweet. I love you because you're lovable. I love you because we get along so well. I love you because we have such common interest. I love you because you're such a nice guy, nice gal. I, I, I love you because. Well, what's wrong with that? It won't work long term. It's a five-day year marriage. Her basic logic is flawed. Randy, if you can get him back like he used to be, I can love him again. Sure, I'm going to do that as soon as I get the toothpaste back in the toothpaste tube. <laughs> so what do they do? This is what happened to your parents. Not all of you, I know that. But here's what happened to your parents. You're looking at your parents and go, how did these two people ever get together? I cannot imagine. You weren't there. And as they begin to not to know what to do with the emotions of I, I don't feel as in love with you. They just disguised it. So he gets really involved with work. She gets really involved with the kids. He gets really involved with the church. She really gets involved with, and he gets really involved with, and, and they drift apart. Two strangers in the same house. And these are good people. Don't you sit there with an arrogance and go, well, that wouldn't be me. I'm going to marry a good person. No, 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 no. No. I knew these people when they were kids. And they loved each other, but they had a system that was wrong. It's not a kingdom system. It's really not that different from I'll love you if you meet my needs. That's blatantly selfish. This one's just another version. I'll love you as long as you're what I like. I've spent most of my life chasing a, a husband or wife down. I mean, I'm serious, just chasing them down. I, I go out to the ho local hospital, and I, and I will say to her, please don't leave your husband and these kids. Please don't do this. Please, there's another road we can go. And she will say, I, I outgrew him. I've changed. He deserves a woman who can love him, but I've, I've changed. He didn't change a lot. I've outgrown him. I've got countless men that I've chased down and said, and, and he was going to go, you know what? I, 
I appreciate what you're trying to do, Randy, but it just doesn't work because I would just be forcing myself to stay with somebody I no longer love. And actually, Randy, love kind of died. It kind of died. So it would only be a piece of paper that held us together. All of it comes out of this. I need to move on because I want to get to the real one, okay? I, I, I'm going to give you a smattering of this one, but I want to get to the real one. But I, I want to park here just a little bit. And I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek, and obviously, well, you figured out. Dating in America reminds me of picking up pups. I don't have a bunch of pups in my garage, but for this story, I invite you to come pick out a pup in my garage. And you come and you pick up this one and go, no, I don't like it. Its ears fall over funny. No, I don't want that one. I don't like its coloring. No, no, I just don't like that one. No, this one's too big. I, I don't think I want one this big. And then you pick one up and go, oh, look, look. Oh, my. Oh, and I fell in love at first glance. And, and this dog is so wonderful and perfect and and, and so you just pull it to yourself, and, 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 and you go, wow, I found the perfect one for me. And you take it ho- home. How long, how, how long will it be at home before its ears fall over funny like the one you didn't want? How long before its coloring changes like the one you didn't want? How long before it becomes big like you didn't want? I, I don't live in a big town. 90,000 metro. We have, last numbers I saw were around 9,000 abandoned animals every year. Why? Because when the pup was a certain size, when they lived in that certain apartment and the kids were a certain age, it worked. But when the dog got bigger, the kids changed the apartment. We began to live somewhere different. It just didn't fit. And so while it was so tied to our heart, Over time, we got aggravated, frustrated, it changed, and so we're kind of done. That's exactly what some of you are doing. Stop it. I don't care that you date like this. In fact, we're going to talk about how do you get into dating, some things, not this morning, but, but you have to draw a line here if you're ever going to move to engagement or marriage, and you have to have a radical switch. Because this one will only be a starter marriage if you don't change. Is this one making sense? The glue that holds great couples together is not common interest. It's actually not even personality. It really isn't. It's not this thing called chemistry. If it is, bad things are going to happen. The glue that holds them together It can't be this first one, I'll love you if you meet my needs. Nah, that's idiotic. I'll love you as long as you're what I like. I love you because. Doesn't work. I'm going to love you for a lifetime and I'm going to fall deeper in love with you all the time. This is the one you want. It's probably less than 20% of all American marriages. It's probably less than one out of five, maybe one out of six, one out of seven. 
I don't even know what the numbers are now. Why? How does this one work? I can tell you this one. This one renews itself regularly. This one, I don't care how much my wife changes. Sweetheart, go on some grand adventure in a sense. And I still will walk with you and deeply love you and vice versa. By the way, just on a simple illustration, I don't even know why I'm still in this end because time's going to be a problem for me already. But my wife has every reason to holler foul. She married a young man who everybody would have said was happy-go-lucky. They would have called me a, a flaming extrovert. Everybody would have said um, pretty much kind of a life-of-the-party sort of guy. And my wife loves people, and my wife is social. It, we weren't probably five years in the marriage, and my introvert kicked in far, far more. When I was a young college kid, man, goodness, jump in the car after I got off at work at 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night, drive 100 miles to that particular restaurant, come back. Yeah, I can be in bed by 3 in the morning. It's no, we can take people with us. It'll be great. By the time I was in my late 20s and early 30s, and again, I'm happy and content in my skin. Don't misunderstand me. But, but if I never went to another party, I'd be fine. To go, I built custom furniture for a hobby in my workshop to read books. Julie could go, wait a second, I didn't want a guy like that. But that's who she got. I came that close to getting kicked out of college my freshman year. I call it one of the finest pranks ever pulled on a college campus. <laughs> they called it breaking and entering. I don't know, it's just a <laughs> minor difference of opinion, okay? That's not who I am now. I don't want to be flippant with this, but girls, I, and again, my apology to the guys here. You dated and married and fell in love with this guy. I'm going to tell you, in 10 years, you have this guy. I didn't want him. <laughs> That's the him you have. And he's a child of the king, and he's a good man. But he's not the same guy. So you have to have a love that has elasticity to it. Because if not, it gets really fragile and easily broken. So how do we get this one? How do we get this one? Well, let, let, me, let me come around the barn here a little bit on you. This one is the kingdom one. The other two are the world's version of it. This is the kingdom one. To do it, we kind of got to start at the most basic level, which is how does the human heart work? Why do you love who you love? And if you don't care, and my apologies to those of you that have heard me three years ago and six years ago and nine years ago or whatever, you, you guys have got to get a wider circle of friends here, I promise you. But, <laughs> but here's, here's the best way I know to describe it. I, I don't even know a better way to say it. So why does the human heart work like it works? Seth's sitting here, and Seth gets picked on whether he wants it or not. Seth, here it goes, okay? How does the human heart work? Well, here's how it basically works as God designed us. So Seth has, uh, I guess Seth, you're not wearing the name tag, I hope. Um, so I'm going to call you the wrong name the entire time here. But So Seth has a mongrel dog running around his neighborhood, a dog that he doesn't even like. It's got mange. It does, it's not a pretty dog. It's one of those ugly, you know, cross between, the, you know, those, just the ugly and ugly got together and had this. And... <laughs> 
and he doesn't like the dog. And the dog has been hanging around in his front yard, and he's been chunking some rocks at it, not trying to hurt it, but trying to get the stupid dog to go, and the dog won't leave. And so after three or four days of, of, of not liking the dog, has no affection for the dog, um, he, he calls the animal control officer and said, hey, would you come get this dog and get rid of it? Now, we all pretty well know there's a good chance this dog's going to be euthanized. I mean, because nobody's going to take this ugly, who married ugly, who, who had ugly. And, and so I don't like the dog. And so he calls them and they say, yes, Mr. Seth, we'll be happy to, to come. We'll be do, get, get a truck that broke down, man on vacation, maybe a few days before we get there, but we'll get there and get the dog. So the issue's settled. Well, Seth is obviously a compassionate man. Look at him. You can see compassion runs off of him. And, and, and no, nothing should starve to death. And so what's he do with the leftover waffles and eggs from tonight's supper? Well, that dog is probably... St- and so he goes out and goes, here, you stupid dog, if you want, you know, the leftover eggs and waffles, there it is. And, 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 the, and he watches where the dog cautiously comes up and eats. And what's he do with tomorrow morning's bagel that he didn't like, that he found a little mold on it? He throws it out and goes, there you sit, you know, your dog, if you want, here's a little bit of something if you want that. And, and what's he do with tomorrow's meal? Well, he kind of does that. And, and then, by the way, it's February here in this part of the country, and, and one of those cold, icy storms came in, and that dog's under that bare lilac bush out there, and, and, and that dog's got to be freezing to death. And so Seth doesn't want to see anything mistreated. And, and so Seth goes and, and, and has an old lawnmower shed that's got some hay in it, and, and he kind of opens the door and says, there, you dumb dog, if you want in there, get in out of the cold. And, and sure enough, the, the animal control officer, the dog pound, comes in, you know, four, five, six days, but it's too late. He already caught it, took it to the vet, spent $337 and named it Bullet. (laughs) And when the dog dies three years later, he cries like a baby. What just happened in that silly story? On Monday of last week, Seth had no affection for the dog, none. But by Monday of next week, something began to happen and stir in Seth's heart. Here's the obvious question. Did the dog change? The dog didn't change. What changed? Seth changed. Your being in love, let me start with that, doesn't have much to do with the object as much as you think it does. It has to do with you. Let me use another silly illustration. I see the girls sitting here. Um, Some of you know where I'm going to go with this. I've told this story a few times. Um, Both of you, by my magic wand, I turn you poof. You're sixth graders, okay? Okay. Poof, you're both sixth graders. One of you is going to hate me here in a minute, by the way. Uh, one of you I'll be passable with, okay? You're both sixth graders, and I give you both gerbils. Now, neither one of you wanted a gerbil. Why would you want a rodent in your room? But anyhow, you both get a gerbil, and, and I give you instructions. I want you to feed it every day, water it every day, take it for a walk on Sundays, you know, clean its cage, that sort of thing. And, and so you have your instruction on gerbil, and you have your instruction. Uh, you're the one who's going to hate me here in a second. Um, <laughs> you're pretty self-disciplined. You actually can put rhythm and self-discipline in your life. And so you, you, you feed it every day, you water it every day, you clean its cage, and on Sundays you take it for its walk. And, and so you do that. Now, you don't have any affection for it, you know, when this all starts, but, but, but you do. You're kind of a slob, okay? I, I, I'm so sorry. Um, you have a little trouble with routine. You have a little trouble with investment. You're kind of a fly-by-the-seat-of-the-pants person. Um, so some days you feed it, some days you don't. Some days you water it, some days you don't. In fact, one of the most common conversations at night at the supper tables with your mom. And your mom goes, did you feed your gerbil today? And you go, uh, no, mom, I didn't. Did you water your gerbil today? No, mom, I didn't. And your mom goes, 
No, you didn't. I had to check on it. I'm the one who fed it. And she says to you, do you have any idea how many times that gerbil would have died if I hadn't fed it? And, and, and your answer is once, Mom. It would have died once. Um, <laughs> because this is my story and I tell whatever I want to, four months into this stupid thing, both gerbils die the same day. You don't, I mean, you're relieved. You're glad to see it gone. Now, you do feel guilty, wonder if you did it or not. I mean, but, but, but you're glad it's gone. It's a pressure gone from you. But you made a funny entry in a sixth grade girl's diary. I cried for a gerbil today. And your heart had a softness and a tenderness. You two talk at school, and she begins to talk, and you go, you say to her, Wow, you must have had a more cuddly gerbil than I had. No. No. Your being deeply in love the rest of your life with someone has far less to do with the object than you think it does. Why do mamas love their babies? Well, it's obvious. Mamas just naturally love their babies. Oh, really? Anybody do social services? You want to follow me around in the neighborhood? No. No. Well, why do the mamas who love their babies, why do they love their babies? Well, they got more lovable babies. No. The sequence of a mom who loves her baby is pretty simple. She had an imagination, and she invested in that imagination for a long time. And then she began to have this baby in her own body, and she began to invest in this baby by how she handled her own life. She invests in this baby before the baby's ever born. She goes to, you know, 16 counties and every little garage sale trying to find little dealy daubers to put in the nursery. And, and she hangs things in the ceiling and she puts them on the wall and she goes through embarrassing examinations and I don't mind doing it for this baby. She goes through 21 hours of hard labor. Well, that should be done with that kid. No, no, the 21 hours of hard labor was not fun, but she holds that baby and tears run down her cheeks. She takes that baby home, and that baby is colicky, and she's walking that baby a a million miles a day. She gets very little sleep. The baby may even have a physical defect. That hand's not right. We're going to have to do some surgery on that eye. Well, you're defective. I'm not going to love you, kid. No, no. That very walking and singing over a baby, it doesn't matter, hun, what you are, who you are. You're deeply loved. The kid, meanwhile, is not even beautiful. The kid looks like Winston Churchill. I, I mean, <laughs> red, wrinkled, little. The kid brings no particular talent other than commotion and noise and sleeplessness. But it doesn't matter. That mama deeply loves that baby. It's a principle Jesus gives. It's a really simple principle. Where your investment is, that will your heart be also. What you choose to invest in, your heart follows. How many in this room are 22? I'm your age. Well, not now, at the moment. If I am, I better change some skin lotion. (laughs) I was 22 years of age, and I started my first ministry, full-time ministry. My wife and I tried to go to New Zealand. We were going to go there. There was a little circuit of three, church, or circuit of three churches we were going to take. They couldn't get preachers, and, and I was denied the work visas from New Zealand. 
uh, government. You're welcome to visit, but you can't live here and, and work. So I took a small church in rural Missouri. It was, it was 75 years old, never had a full-time preacher. They still couldn't afford a full-time preacher. My total salary was $5,600 a year. Now, first year's teacher salary was about 13000 so it's way down there. We're unloading the truck the day I move in. Now, again, I'm 22. We're unloading the truck, and there's a knock on the front door. I'm hoping it's somebody to help move the piano or something, and it's, it's, it's a guy in uniform who said, how do you do? I, I'm a part of the congregation here, and, and uh, welcome. I didn't get a chance to meet you when you were here earlier. Uh, I've been on deployment, but da-da-da-da-da. Uh, uh, and, and, and he said, welcome. And then he said, do you mind if we talk? We walk around the back of the house to kind of a out of out of sight, and he just begins to bawl. And he said, "I'm so sorry." And he and he leans against the house, and he said, "I'm so sorry, but my wife and I and our kids are part of this congregation." And my wife told me last night she doesn't love me, that she shouldn't have married me, that there's no affection, there's no chemistry, that she she married me because she was probably naive and, and just wanted to be married and thought she was in love with me, but she doesn't really even like me. And Will you talk to her? My first appointment as a 22-year-old kid in my first full-time church was an empty church office, no books, no nothing, no desk, three metal folding chairs, him, his wife, and me. And she gives the same story. Yes, I kind of, number one, I thought he would meet my needs. I thought I, 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 I thought all kinds of bad, wrong things. We're just not right for each other. And when she got done, she said, I'm willing to stay with him for a while for the sake of the little kids. I'll even do some of my wifely duty, but I don't love him, and I don't intend to stay in this very long. And they all turned and looked at me like I'm supposed to say something. Well, you should. <laughs> what, what do you say? And I don't know why in the sovereignty of God, but I got about eight or ten of those just bang, bang, bang. Almost, I'm, I'm just exploded. And I'm meeting with people, and here's my question. How do you cause no longer a six-year-old, sixth grader, how do you help a 26-year-old woman be deeply in love with a guy that doesn't meet her needs like she thought he would, whose personality doesn't click like she hoped it would. I owe most of my counseling money to an old woman. Now, I've spent quite a bit of money other places too, but I owe most of it to an old woman. I went to see a widow in our town and I just went by to go check on her. Her husband had died about a, oh, a couple of months, three months, maybe a month before I came to town. I don't even remember now. But he had passed away before I got in town. And, and so I never met him. But she's a grieving widow who deeply loved her husband. And she talks about him. She's going, wow, you, he would have liked you. I wish he could have met you. And I wish you could have you know, met him. And, and, and she's a grieving widow. She's sharp, intelligent, and articulate. And I, she's a classy, classy gal. And there's a brightness to her face. Um, she's just quite a gal. And I took a risk that day, a risk that could have blown up in my face. I don't recommend some of this exactly what I did. You see, I'd never met him, but I'd heard about him. I'd heard he was a jerk. I had heard that 
one of the better days of her life should have been the day this guy passed away. And I am so crushed by all of the marriages I'm working with. And she obviously loved a man who was hard to love. And so I basically said, I, I hope you don't mind, but I can tell your heart was so attached to him. Can I ask you a question? I understand he wasn't easy to love. Can I ask you, how did you love a man who wasn't easy to love? She smiled, reached across the coffee table and took my hand. I'll never forget she held it. She said, oh, sweetie. I was a sweetie one time. You just need to know that. (laughs) Oh, sweetie, she said, I'd love to tell you my story, our story. She said, when we got married, she said, everybody, everybody, she kind of encouraged me not to marry him. She said, but I was getting up in age and feel like life was passing me by and guys weren't paying attention and I didn't want to be single the rest of my life. And and, and she said, yeah, I knew Eddie's flaws, but I was good for him. And she said, I made him a better man. And he, and he took away some of my fears. And, and we really did fall in love with each other. And she said, my mom is going, don't marry the guy because of his past. But I'm going, mom, you don't understand him. You don't know him. And, 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 and she said, and we got married. And she said, for three, you know, again, I, I lose track of time on this story. But she said, uh, you know, for, for three months, six months, whatever it was, she said, we had a great marriage. And then she said, all hell broke loose. She said it just began to unravel. There was a lot of things in the unravel, but he went back to his drinking. And, and she said, I, I go from loving him to about a year, year, half later, I, I, I can't stand it. I can't have children because if I do, this drunk will be the father. I can't, I can't love him. And she said, I'm studying at church on Sundays now, kind of plotting, how, how am I going to get out of this marriage? when I divorce him, where am I going to go? And she said, I wasn't going to church when we got married, but I am now. And she said, and I'm having a problem. And I I don't want to mess you up with the sound system, but she said, I'm sitting here looking at the stage that I had said till death do us part. And neither one of us are dead, but I'm done. She said one morning, and by the way, I'm not recommending exactly what she did, but you'll find the principle. She said one morning I came home from worship and I sit down at the kitchen table and said, okay, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a list of the, everything that a good wife would do with and for a husband if she did love him. And she said, because I didn't really like what I'd become either. I'd kind of just surviving in my own marriage. And she said, I decided I want to clear my conscience. And she said, I'm going to take three months and I'm going to be the wife I, I, I know I should be for three months. And at the end of three months, if he hasn't changed, then I get to divorce him with a clear conscience. She said it's a pretty detestable list. I just made about a list of 40 things that a good wife would do and what she verbalizes and how she behaves and, and all those things. And she said, I gritted my teeth and said, okay, for the next three months, and if this clown doesn't change, I got a clear conscience. Well, you can guess where I'm going with this. At the end of three months, she said everything had changed. Oh, he hadn't changed. But she said something crazy happened in my own heart and life. She said I began to have a sense of compassion for this guy. A sense of he's, he matters. A sense of I care. A sense of affection. And she said, I don't want to tell you being married to an alcoholic was easy. She said, it was hard. 
And I had to get my list out every now and then and grip my teeth and jump back in. But she said, the crazy thing, it wasn't long. She said, it probably about five years is all. And one morning, he broke down the kitchen table and began to bawl and say, how do you do it? How do you love me? I don't understand. And she said, I simply explained what, what I was doing. And she said, he asked, would you teach me how to do that? And she said, he began to pour his life into me. And she said, he didn't like me either, honestly. But began to pour his life back into me. And she said, the crazy thing was, I wouldn't change my marriage for anybody's in this community. She said, most women learn how to live with their husbands. I learned how to love mine. And she said, we fell deeply in love with each other. She said, we had a great marriage. It wasn't pretending. It wasn't surface. It was a great marriage. She said, he never really learned to do it well with the neighbors. That's why you heard what you heard. (laughs) But she said, I was never cheated. I had a husband who deeply loved me. And by the way, the whole alcohol issue has to be handled in wise ways, and they did handle it. And, I mean, there's, there's, there's more to this story. What you need to hear, though, is she reached back across the table and took my hand, and she said, Randy, you tell those couples that you're working with that their being in love doesn't have much to do on who they're married to. It has everything on how they treat who they're married to. Because where your investment is, there will your heart be also. Julie, my wife, does not love me because I am this old man who is just so winsome. She's heard every stupid dad joke I have. She knows every way that I grumble about things. She knows all of my quirkiness that was cute when we were dating and irritating as soup when we're married. My wife knows every part about me. And I'm not the great magnet that just causes her to love me. No, she just married a guy. Every woman will marry a doofus, I promise. And every guy kind of marries, well, apart from the book of James, every man will marry a stumbler. James chapter 3, we all stumble in many ways. Not a single one in this room will ever marry somebody who's not a stumbler. But here's what my wife did. At some level, now this didn't happen literally, but it happened in her worship. Somehow my wife stood here the day, and actually long before we got married, but she stood that day, And I'm confident, it cut me a little slack, but I'm confident the internal conversation went a little like this. Heavenly Father, I think I love him, but how do you know on things like this? But I know he's a child of yours, a son of yours, and I know he's someone you redeemed and someone that you love and someone you you died for and someone you put your spirit in and someone you're coming back for. And Heavenly Father, I think I love him, but I know... I love you, and out of love for you, Heavenly Father, would you let me step into this man's life on your behalf and take good care of him and invest in him and look after him because you value him? And somewhere in that sequence, she didn't make her vow with me. She actually made her vow with God. 
and I stood over here, and at some level, I'm going, Heavenly Father, I think I love her. In fact, I'm blown away that a woman with this much class would be kind to me. But Heavenly Father, I, 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 don't, I don't even know how these things are supposed to work, except that I do know I love you. And Father, she's a daughter of yours. And you love her and created her and redeemed her and put your spirit in her. And Heavenly Father, would you use me as the raw material to write a better story for her life? Father, may I decrease that she might increase. Father, would you use me not as a marriage to satisfy my own soul? I'm the center of this marriage. Not because I'm going to be in marriage because she'll always be what I like. But because I know the value you placed on her life. And because I know how you see her, Father, may I partner with you to look after her. And a couple of stumbling kids held each other's hand and walked down a center aisle. And as they did so, the Lord winked and nudged the angels and said, watch this. She's going to be in love with a doofus. (laughs) And she is. Because out of her worship, and as an act of worship to the Lord, she invests. Some days, for both of us, some days I'm confident we're both pretty easy to invest in. Some days I'm pretty convinced that it's probably a little tougher day to invest, and it requires a little more worship. But out of worship to the Lord, you invest In 47 years, all I know is I haven't been married to her long enough. Whatever it is, it's not long enough. It's the sweetest journey. Have we hurt each other's feelings? Absolutely. I've made her cry. She's made me mad. But they lasted about 20 minutes. Because I know... I I don't protect myself from stepping back. If I step back from her, my heart takes a three-step back. So I'll invest in a stumbler, and she invests in a stumbler, and you find yourself deeply in love with a stumbler. You say, well, doesn't my partner have anything to do with how I feel toward them? Oh, absolutely. No doubt about it. Just far less than you think. Seth's still sitting here, didn't get him to leave. So Seth at noon is going to, supposed to, I said, Seth, go down to the, to the cafeteria, to the you know, dining hall. And I send him to the west. And for my story, the wind's blowing really hard out of the west. And he walks back in and goes, Randy, I tried to get to the dining hall, but the wind was just so strong. I'll go, Seth, you wimp. Seth, you may have to bend over. You may end up having to get on hands and knees. I don't know. But, Seth, don't tell me the wind is too hard that you couldn't get there. You just gave up too quick. On the other hand, if the wind's out of the east and I send him to the dining hall, it's a cakewalk. He hardly hardly had to do anything. It kind of propelled him. You will either be the wind in your partner's face making it hard to love them or you'll be the wind behind their back making it easier to love you. But whether they love you has very little difference with whether, how the wind blows. So now let's tie it back. Do you know why you must be a man or woman of wisdom? Because only the man or wo- 
woman of wisdom can actually do that. Because everybody else has too much emotional maturity and you let your emotional immaturity run your life and you can't live up to it. That's why the book of Proverbs says run from a foolish man, run from a foolish woman. Not because they're bad people. They may be lovable and likable, but the problem is they can't reach into their backbone and pull out what love requires. Is anybody ever fully mature when they get married? No. Ben wasn't, Joe wasn't. Randy wasn't, Julie wasn't. I can take you around this circle. But here's what I can tell you. You have to be able to read the book of Proverbs and tear it apart, back even taking the life of Jesus, and you have to look and find the road the wise man is on and say, that's the road I'm on. Yeah, I'm a stumbler. Yeah, I got a long way to go on that road, but I know what road I want to be on. You got to tear the book of Proverbs apart and say, yeah, I see who the fool is, and I see the road the fool is on. Maybe likable and funny and all of those sort of things, but the fool, and, and, and I don't want to live on that road. And you've got to decide, I have a road, because the road goes where the road goes. And when you begin to put yourself on the road of wisdom, something begins to happen. And there's a lot of things on that road. And we're going to end up talking a lot about wholeness, emotional wholeness, and how do you get repair and all of that. We're, we're going to talk about that. I'm not moving on. Rest, the rest of this weekend, I'm actually going to spend almost all of it on, on, on those kind of concepts. But don't you date until you go, you know what? I'm still a doofus, I know that, and I've got my blind spots, but I know what road I'm on. And I've made some progress on that road. And don't you seriously date anybody till you can say, no, I know they need to grow up and they have their blind spots, but it's pretty obvious what road they're on. They are a companion of the wise, and they live wise. Those individuals that have a great marriage. There's more I could do with this, but I need to let you go. Your parents, I would even say for your parents, for many of them, it's not too late. It's not too late. For some of you in your relationships now, it's not too late. But you have to turn your face to reality, and you have to embrace reality. And so you have to be teachable. You have to be humble. And you have to be courageous. And you have to know who your healer is. First Thessalonians 5. Himself, God himself, the God of peace. May he sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be sound and blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. And the one who promised, he is faithful. And he will do it. I don't care what background you come from. I don't care what your culture is. I don't care what kind of scars that you may have had from your past. You are more pliable in the hands of the king than you ever know. You get to make a generational change. May God bless you on your journey. God bless. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org. 